Hey folks, Andy Patton here, kicking off our first recurring series of the offseason, a look at each player on Gonzaga's roster, how they, how they did this season, comparing them to my best and worst case scenarios that I laid out before the year, and a look at their future. Today we start with point guard Andrew Nembhard, all things Nembhard, right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to take you through the news and updates on all things Gonzaga athletics. I also want to thank all of you who make this podcast your first listen of the day. I appreciate it. I appreciate those of you who check out the show on YouTube as well. One of the fastest growing YouTube channels on the Locked On Podcast Network. Let's keep that momentum going even as the Zags are finished playing basketball for the season. Just go to YouTube.com, search Locked On Zags, hit that subscribe button. would sincerely appreciate it. Today is the first of what will ultimately be a 12-part series talking about every player on Gonzaga's roster. We did this before the season. These were my first episodes after taking over as the host of Locked on Zags podcast in October. I did a preview of every player on the roster. I talked about their history. In the second segment, I talked about my predictions for their best and worst case scenarios. And then in the third segment, I discussed my realistic goals and expectations. Now we are doing a season in review series. We're going to go over how the year went. We're going to talk about those best and worst case scenarios. Were they closer to their best case, closer to their worst case, somewhere in between. And then in the third segment, we're going to discuss the future of each individual player. I wanted to start with Andrew Nembhard. There's a lot of polarizing players on this Gonzaga roster. He was one of them. We know at his best what he was capable of, but when he wasn't at his best, it felt like it was very difficult for this team to get any traction or momentum. Uh, one of the phrases that I use multiple times on this show, as the Zags, or as Andrew Nembhard goes, so too go the Zags. And that proved, uh, unfortunately, very prophetic based on how the final game of the regular season went, or the, excuse me, the final game of the season went against Arkansas. We're going to start just talking about Andrew Nembhard's history a little bit. This was his second season at Gonzaga. It was kind of expected to be his first season. For those who remember when he came to Gonzaga, he transferred from Florida. He was, he'd been at Florida for two years. He decided to enter his name into the NBA draft and the transfer portal, withdrew from the draft, transferred to Gonzaga uh, three days or so before last season started. The Zags found out that he was going to be immediately eligible to play. He came off the bench for the first half of his first year in Gonzaga, uh, playing behind Jalen Suggs and Joel Iai and playing alongside Aaron Cook a lot of the time. Eventually, the Zags realized how valuable he was, entered him into the starting lineup, played more three-guard lineups with Corey Kispert playing the four. Uh, Nembhard excelled at that role, so then he came here. We knew he's going to be the guy this year. He's going to be the starting point guard. He's going to be the person who leads this team. That is what happened. He came into the season expected to be one of the better point guards in the NCAA. He finished the season by my account as the best point guard in the NCAA, he certainly did not look like that against Arkansas, unfortunately, but he was hyper-consistent throughout the year and led one of the best teams in the country all season long. He appeared in all 32 games. He averaged 32 minutes per game. Mark Few loves to ride his veteran guys for huge amounts of minutes. This is something that 
has been a source of criticism for the coach uh, in the past and I think is reasonable to argue here. Uh, Nembhard sat three minutes between the regular season finale against St. Mary's, the conference tournament, the NCAA tournament. All of those games combined, he did not play three minutes, and those were against Georgia State. That is it. You could make an argument (laughs) that that fatigue may have set in for Nembhard in that final game against Arkansas. Hard to say conclusively. Uh, we'll get there a little bit. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But Nemhard career high in almost every offensive category this season. 11.8 points, career high. 5.8 assists, career high. 3.4 rebounds, career high. 1.6 deals, career high. And to be clear, he played almost the exact same amount of minutes in each of his two seasons at Florida and only played like 29, 28 minutes in his junior year at Gonzaga. So this, it's not like... All of his career highs came because he just played more minutes. He played about he played less minutes than he did his sophomore year at Florida, and he still set career highs in basically every important statistic. This was the best season of Andrew Nembhard's collegiate career, without a doubt. He shot 45.2% from the floor. He shot 38.3% from downtown. That was monumentally huge for the Zags and for Nembhard himself to be a knockdown outside shooter. He was point blank not that. His first three years in college, he was not a consistent outside shooter. We knew that there was the ability there. He has a good-looking shot. He's a great free-throw shooter. It stands to reason he could develop into a good outside shooter, and he did do that this year. He also shot 87% from the free-throw line. You guessed it, career high there as well for Nempard. I wanted to highlight a few kind of accomplishments for him throughout the season and kind of the ebbs and flows of Andrew Nempard. He played a full 40 against Texas, the second game of the season, nine points and eight assists in that one. Kind of a quiet game for him, uh, but he was kind of leading the charge on getting the basketball to Drew Timmy, which was the main story in that game as Timmy dropped 37 against the Longhorns. Then he fully broke out, like really, really broke out in that UCLA game. 24 points, six assists, five boards, three steals. Monster game for Nembhard against the Bruins. 9 for 13 from the field, perfect 4 for 4 from the free throw line. This is kind of what started the whole, hey, when Nemhard is playing like this, this team is unbeatable. And yes, that UCLA team was not quite at full health, but Gonzaga blew the doors off them, mostly because Andrew Nemhard controlled the pace, controlled the tempo, knocked down his shots, found open guys. He had a phenomenal game. What followed after that was a pretty brutal four-game stretch. This was probably... I don't know if probably is the right word. This is definitely the worst four-game stretch the Zags had this season. Duke, Tarleton State, Alabama, Merrimack. It was a very, very rough stretch. They went 2-2 in that stretch with the wins obviously coming against Tarleton and Merrimack. Neither of those wins were particularly easy for the Zags to get. And again, you can kind of point to Nembhard's performance as part of the reason the Zags didn't play particularly well in those games. He averaged just 5.3 points per game. Across those four games, half of his season average. He averaged 4.8 assists, which is solid, but also 3.3 turnovers. He also only took six free throws in those four games and only made three of them. And he took 11 three-pointers and made zero of them. I was critical of Gonzaga's three-point shooting until around the time that the WCC season started. And this was part of the reason Andrew Nembhard did not turn it on as an outside shooter until about halfway through the season. From there, he started cooking 
and it was incredibly crucial for the Zags that he did that. But 0 for 11 over this four-game stretch really, and three turnovers per game, really, really hurt the Zags. Thankfully, he hit four threes against Texas Tech, which was a huge breakout game for Gonzaga's outside shooting in general. And from then on, he really got his groove. After going three for six from the free throw line and 0 for 11 for three in that four-game stretch, for the rest of the season, he shot 42.5% from three and 91.1% from the free throw line. He was not happy with not shooting well from the free throw line or the three-point line in those four games, and he turned it around in a hurry. Conference play started shortly after that. For the conference, he averaged 14.5 points, 6.6 assists, 1.5 steals. He shot 40, just under 49% from the field and over 40% from three. And, of course, 94% from the free throw line. He basically did not miss any free throws in the WCC season. Now, we already mentioned the minutes that he played in those last couple of games against St. Mary's in the conference tournament and the NCAA tournament. Only sat three games uh, he still shot really, really well. He shot 46.7% from the conference tournament through the NCAA tournament from three. He was nearly a 50% three-point shooter when the Zags needed him most. But the the things that will both be remembered for Andrew Nempard in this season are the final two games of the year because it was a perfect microcosm of how important Andrew Nempard is to this team. He... I don't want to say single-handedly because Drew Timmy scored 11 points in four minutes against Memphis, but Andrew Nembhard had a critical, critical, critical role in helping Gonzaga overcome a 10-point deficit at halftime to defeat the Tigers in the second-round game of the NCAA tournament. He finished that game with 23 points, 5 assists, and 0 turnovers. The fact that he pushed the pace so relentlessly in the second half against a deeply athletic team. He pushed and he pushed and he pushed and he managed to do that, wear out this team that has a bunch of athletes on it without turning the basketball over. Monumental accomplishment for Andrew Dempart. He was so crucial in that game, hit free throws down the stretch, put Memphis away, wore them out. It was a phenomenal performance from Andrew Dempart. Unfortunately, the Zags needed another phenomenal performance from Andrew Nempart against Arkansas, and he just didn't have it. Seven points, two for 11 from the field. You all watched the game. You all know how it went down. He made his first shot of the game about 45 seconds in. Then he went about 19 minutes without scoring at all. He just, he, he got a lot of good looks, and he just wasn't knocking them down. Fatigue, maybe it was an issue. I don't know. I would like to think that the staff found a way to alleviate that being a problem, but he played a whole heck load of minutes in the games leading up to this game against Arkansas. And it stands to reason that maybe he was a little bit tired. Seven boards, three assists, five turnovers in that game against Memphis. And unfortunately, like I said, it was prophetic to claim that as Andrew Nembhard goes, so too go the Zags because Andrew Nembhard didn't have it in that final game against Arkansas. And sure, there was other factors. Chad Holmgren fouling out on some mysterious calls. Drew Timmy not having his normal offensive self. Uh, Julian Strother and Rasir Bolton not showing up as outside shooters. There was a lot of things that went into that game. But Andrew Nempard not not being himself was, in my opinion, probably the most critical thing that happened that cost them that game against Arkansas. All right, that was an overview of Nempard's second season in Spokane in a Gonzaga uniform. We're going to look back at my best and worst case scenarios for Nempard, which were laid out before the season began. We're going to discuss how true, how false they were in the second segment. Before we get there, though, let's talk about Stat Hero. Stat Heroes NCAA single game pickums pits the star players against each other in an amazing hybrid between fantasy and sports gambling. Take control back from those handicappers that always seem to have the advantage and start focusing on the players you know best with a gameplay that doesn't rely on big spreads, 
long odds, or funky props. Stat Hero gives you the advantage, resulting in their gamers winning four times more often. Why? Because Stat Hero eliminates the mystery about who or what you are going up against. In addition to their pick'em games, they also have dozens of lineups you can comb through to take on head-to-head. They simply post sets of players for you to take on with a set of players you choose. Stat Hero is the easiest and fastest way to get your sports action fixed. The simple sleek gameplay will have you playing in minutes. This is what Daily Fantasy was meant to be. Sign up for free right now at stathero.com slash locked on and use promo code locked on for a 100% deposit match. That's stathero.com slash locked on promo code locked on for a 100% match. This is the time of the year that I've pretty much given up on all of my New Year's resolutions, but not this year. I'm sticking to my resolution to eat right thanks to Built Bar. It almost feels like it's not really a resolution because I actually enjoy eating them. Have you tried the Puffs? If you haven't, you're missing out on one of Built Bar's best tasting bars. Puffs are the first ever protein-infused marshmallow. They're fluffy, they're marshmallowy, they're not just a protein bar, they're a treat. And they're covered in 100% real chocolate. In fact, all Built Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate. A typical candy bar can be anywhere from two to 300 calories. Most Built Bars contain 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. They have mint brownie, coconut, coconut almond, and new for this month, white chocolate cookies and cream. They are all delicious, and new flavors are coming out all the time. Go to Built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, and get 15% off your order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. All right, segment two, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags, still talking season in review for point guard Andrew Nempard. In the second segment here, we are going to look back, turn the time machine to October of 2021. When I first started at Locked on Zags, I did episodes, I believe the Andrew Nempard episode was my second episode of the show discussing my best and worst case scenarios for Andrew Nempard this year. I kept my notes, so we're going to look at those notes. We're going to talk about what came true, what did not come true, what ended up being the reality for Nempard. Uh, again, this is the caveat I said last year at this time. The best case was always laid out within reason and the worst case without injury. I didn't want to discuss, hey, this guy might get hurt and not play because anybody could get hurt and not play, and that's just not really good analysis. Um, the best case was within reason. Obviously, everybody's best case scenario is they win National Player of the Year, they win Tournament Finals, MVP, whatever it may be. That's not realistic for everybody, so we're going to lay out what was best and worst and what ended up happening. All right, so the best-case scenario for Andrew Nemphart, according to Andy, in October of 2021, he is the be- one of the best pure point guards in the country. He is a WCC first-teamer or even WCC Player of the Year. Pretty much, pretty much happened here. He was not Player of the Year. Obviously, that went to Drew Timmy. It was always very likely going to go to Drew Timmy. Uh, but Nemhard was a candidate for that award. Uh, he was a WCC first teamer. Um, he, and I believe he was one of the best pure point guards in the country. Uh, again, there's some debate on that. Some people will say Colin Gillespie, uh, Jaden Ivey. There's some other names that will get tossed out in there. I think in terms of facilitating an offense and being a a true point guard by the like historical basketball definitions of a point guard, I think you can make a very strong argument that Andrew Nemhard was that for the Zags. Best case scenario for Nemhart is his streaky outside shooting becomes more consistent. In my notes, I put he shot 38% in 19 games from December to March of last season. Can he do that for a full season? Yes. Yes, he can. He shot almost exactly 38% 
on the season this year, 38.3 for Nempard. This was a huge area of growth for the point guard and a much needed one. Gonzaga did not have a Corey Kispert. They did not have a Joel Eiei on this roster. They needed more consistent outside shooting. Roz Bolton was obviously fantastic. Julian Strother, a great three-point shooter, but a bit inconsistent at times. Nempard was crucial for that to help pull away defenses, give Drew Timmy more room to operate, all of that stuff that outside shooting does. Nempard was, again, he was he struggled a little bit earlier in the year, but he really, really got hot during the WCC season, shot over 40% from three, and it was much needed. Next up, his, his excellent shooting inside the arc remains as well, and he shoots over 60% around the rim. This was actually not an area that Nempard grew. Unfortunately, he was just over 60% on two-point attempts in his first season in a Gonzaga uniform this season. That dropped 10 percentage points to 50.3. This surprised me when I was looking at the stats. I did not realize that he was that much less efficient as a two-point scorer. We kind of talked about mid-range Nempard a lot this year. 50% is still very, very good for a, you know, I was going to say smaller guard. He's 6'5". He's not that small. But for a point guard to finish around the rim over 50% is still very good. But he was just otherworldly last year at 60%. So we saw a drop-off here. Still good in that regard. Obviously, it would have been nice to see him convert a little bit more on some of those mid-range shots, particularly in Gonzaga's final game against Arkansas. But on the whole, he was still very good there. Uh, next up, he shows the ability to facilitate the offense with multiple scoring weapons. He sure did. His 5.8 assists per game was a career high for him. Also, his 1.9 turnovers per game was the second lowest of his career. So phenomenal work for Nembhard to have more assists in more minutes with less turnovers. He was, he was a really, really good point guard this year. That's the easiest way to lay that out. Next up on my best case scenarios, he's no longer sharing duties. He is the point guard. There's no debate when he is playing, he has the ball in his hands. Unquestionably, the only player who ever challenged him remotely for playing time at the point guard position was Nolan Hickman. And it became pretty clear as the year went on that Hickman was a good secondary ball handler and was good when Nembhard did need minutes off. But when they shared the court together, Andrew Nembhard was still the guy with the ball in his hands. Next up, the best case scenario is he provides veteran stability to a very young group of guards. I mentioned that this may not be something we would see right away. I suspect that it probably did happen. I suspect that Hunter Salas and Nolan Hickman and Dominic Harris are better basketball players because they have been around Andrew Nempard, and we will see that reflected in how they perform next season. And finally, at the end of the year, Nempard is not weighing, returning, or going pro. He's going pro, and there's a possibility that he's a late first, early second round pick. So that's not really the case. Uh, the best case scenario didn't really happen here. Uh, Nempard is not on very many draft boards. We'll talk a lot more about that in the third and final segment of this show. I wouldn't be surprised if he leaves. In fact, I think he's very likely going to leave, and I think he's going to pursue a professional career. But I would be somewhat surprised if he ends up in the draft boards. All right, and the worst case scenarios I laid out for Nempard, his outside shooting doesn't improve Obviously, that was not the case. He was a 38% three-point shooter. He was not super consistent, particularly earlier in the year, but his outside shooting improving was a big part of his story this year. This was the worst case scenario that I really hated to have to read out loud again. He says, or I said, those nights where he just disappeared last season remain an issue, but are harder to mask without Suggs. Yes, this happened. This was unfortunately a big part of the season as well. When Andrew Nembhard didn't play well, Gonzaga didn't have another guard to go to to take over games. Jalen Suggs was phenomenal at this. He was a downhill scorer. He was a guy you could get the ball to and just let him go get a bucket. 
when Andrew Nembhard didn't have it this season against Duke, against Alabama, against Arkansas. We know the results of those games. Nembhard was such a critical piece of the offense, and they didn't have another guard they could just let go when Nembhard wasn't playing well. We couldn't mask his bad games. He had a bad game against Arkansas. Gonzaga was unable to overcome that. To me, that tells you how important Nembhard was to this team and should be remembered in that way as opposed to, well, why couldn't he step up in that game? He, he, he brought them back against Memphis. He was so critical in so many games. But yeah, it was frustrating that when he didn't have it, the team didn't have another option to go to. Next up, the defensive improvements we saw as a junior are not there in his senior year because Jalen is not there to guard the best player. So actually, Nembhard's defensive rating improved this year, so I don't think that was much of an issue. I think he, I think he worked hard to get better as an on-ball defensive player. He knew he would have to guard better players this year than he did last year, and he worked at it, and he got better. So kudos to him for that. Uh, next up, worst case scenario, there's a legit concern he shouldn't be starting. This never really happened. I remember in the midst of his really awful stretch, there was some some debate, some chatter about whether Nolan Hickman should start for Nembhard. I don't know that it was very serious. I never entertained it as a realistic option because I didn't think Hickman was proving to be definitively better than Nembhard. Nembhard pretty quickly quelled that, ended up having a phenomenal conference play, and by the end of the year, there was no debate that Andrew Nembhard was the starting point guard. And then the last worst case scenario, where the question isn't where will he be drafted, it's does he fit on this team next year? Yeah, it's neither. <laughs> I don't think he's going to get drafted. I've said that a handful of times, but I can tell you right now that Gonzaga fans would be more than happy to have Andrew Nembhard decide to stay for his final year. We're not concerned. Yeah, there's a lot of guard depth on this team already, but if Nembhard came back, I think we'd be pretty okay with it. All right, we're going to come back in the third segment. We're going to take a look at Nembhard's future. We don't know anything definitively yet, but we're going to give some speculation, some thoughts on whether he's going to stay, whether he's going to go, what that could look like. Before we get there, though, let's talk about Rock Auto. This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing number of makes and models, it is now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning like is your Odyssey an LX or an EX, and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand that a warehouse happens to carry. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Plus, Rock Auto prices are reliably low for every customer, and they have everything you could need. Brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpets. I just had my 13-year-old car service recently, and I can tell you having one place to find all the parts I need makes things infinitely easier. So go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com All right, segment three. Still Andy Patton, still locked on Zag, still talking about the life and times of the Zaga point guard Andrew Nembhard. More specifically, here in segment number three, we are going to take a look at Andrew Nembhard's potential future as a Gonzaga basketball player. So, Nembhard wrapped up his fourth collegiate season at Gonzaga this past season. He played two years at Florida in the SEC. He transferred to Gonzaga, as we mentioned in the first segment. He did not have to sit out a year. He was granted immediate eligibility, something that the NCAA has now made much simpler for just about everybody. This was kind of right in the midst of the COVID confusion about some of those rules. Uh, But he got immediate eligibility. He played these past two seasons at Gonzaga. He has now played four collegiate seasons. 
Now, he does have an extra year of eligibility because of the COVID rules. He could opt to come back. He could play at Gonzaga. He could opt to transfer. That would be very unusual, but it is something he could, in theory, do. Or, of course, he could end his collegiate career, hire an agent, and enter the NBA draft conversation. Nembhard has attempted to do this before. He declared for the draft after his sophomore year at Florida before withdrawing from the draft and keeping his name in the transfer portal and ultimately eventually coming to Gonzaga. So he has showed this interest in the past. There, I have heard, and I, did, I couldn't find a source confirming any of this, but that he was hoping to leave after his first season at Florida and enter the NBA draft at that point. I don't know whether he tested the waters and decided to come back. I'm not sure the whole situation there. But N- Nemhard, like anybody in college basketball, has his eyes dead set on playing professional basketball, specifically playing in the NBA. Who can blame him? That's what every player wants to do. Now, he's played four years in college. He has yet to go into the NBA, obviously. I have a hard time imagining he wants to come back for a fifth year. And it's not that I think he is going to be a for sure fire NBA player and should, is going to get drafted and should obviously go. I'm not sure that I'm, I'm there with him on that. I also don't know what he's got left to prove at the collegiate level. And this is, it's a similar conversation that, that we're going to have about Drew Timmy and that we have had about Drew Timmy. You can, you can stay in college and continue to play really, really well, but it's at, at, what, at some point, eventually, it stops helping you become a professional basketball player because your age, your continued, every year that you are a little bit older is a big black box against you by NBA standards. The NBA loves drafting for potential. They, this is why there are people who have said like, oh, if Hunter Salas, Julius Rother, if those guys declare, there's no way they get picked up. I don't think that that's true. I don't think that those guys should declare. I, I think that they would benefit from another year at Gonzaga, specifically Hunter Salas. I think he has the potential to play really well next year and be a top, a potential lottery pick or at least a first round pick. But like if he declared right now and looked pretty good in, warm, in, in workouts with teams, he would get drafted because teams love 19-year-old hyper-athletic dudes. Like this is, they, they, they draft on potential a lot. This is why seniors are so rarely draft high, you know, selected high in the draft. There have been some recent counterexamples to that. Corey Kispert, who's playing extremely well in the NBA right now, he's a counterexample to that. Desmond Bain, who had a four-year career at TCU, he's playing extremely well for Memphis. Chris Duarte who had a lengthy career at Oregon, is playing well in Indiana. So there are counterexamples to this. But for the most part, NBA teams care a lot about how old you are. And when you don't have much left to prove and you just come back for another year, not necessarily a lot is going to change. And this is why with Drew Timmy, like he could come back and he could be the best player in college basketball next year. But unless he shows more ability to move laterally on defense, more outside shooting, NBA teams are going to stay just as interested as they are now, which is not extremely interested. Similarly with Nembhard, he has some things. He could prove that the three-point shooting is legit. He's only had one year over 35%. I'm guessing that's a concern for some NBA teams out there. And if he came back and shot 40% next year for Gonzaga, then yeah, maybe maybe that would be enough for teams to be like, okay, now, now he's going to be more on our board as a second-round pick as opposed to just an undrafted guy. But I don't know what else he can prove. He's a great passer. He's a good mid-range scorer. He's a lethal in the pick and roll. He's a good defensive player. He's a decent-sized guy. And right now, he's just he's not overwhelming enough in any one statistical area for teams to be super smitten with him as an NBA player. That's that's where we're at. He's not showing up on draft boards. I think he will absolutely get signed 
or at least assigned to a summer league team. I'd be shocked if he's not playing summer league basketball and not seriously considered for a two-way contract. But I would be also fairly surprised if he got drafted. It would surprise me. So he's kind of in an interesting spot. I don't think coming back helps Andrew Nembhard as an NBA draft prospect. And at the end of the day, if that's his goal, that's kind of why I don't think he comes back. Now, of course, he could come back and you know help try to lead this team to another championship, solidify himself as one of Gonzaga's greatest point guards of all time, potentially win the Bob Cousy Award as the best point guard in the nation. Like, There's a lot of compelling reasons to come back. And now with NIL deals, he could still make some money. He could do all that. I don't know how interested he is in any of that. None of that has seemed like something he's super interested in, not in the way that it is for Drew Timmy, at least. So he's kind of, like you said, he's in an odd spot. I'd be surprised if he came back. I've said that a handful of times. I I stand by that. I think he's leaving. I think he's going to declare for the NBA draft. I think he's going to work out for teams. And I think he's going to impress enough teams that maybe... Maybe he sneaks into the late second round. If not, I think he'll be like Joel Eyei, where his phone will start blowing up as soon as the draft ends because a lot of teams are going to want to sign him. They're going to want to put him on their summer league roster. They're going to want to see what he can do. And I think it's very realistic he ends up on a two-way contract like Joel Eyei did, like Killian Tilly did. That's kind of what I think is the reality for Andrew Nembhard. Would love to see him back. Would be phenomenal to have him leading the charge again next year. But ultimately, my suspicion is that we saw the last of Andrew Nembhard in that Arkansas game, which is unfortunate that that was his final game in a Gonzaga uniform. But I think he is going to be playing professional basketball at this time next season. All right, that is going to do it for today's episode, the first in this series recapping every player on the roster. We got one more coming on Friday. We're also going to do a preview of Gonzaga's upcoming weekend for the baseball program on Thursday, among a few other things. All right here on the Locked On Zags podcast, available wherever you get podcasts and available on YouTube as well. Finally, thank you to those of you who have made this podcast your first listen every day. Now is a great time to make the second listen of the day, the Locked On NBA Draft podcast. With the college basketball season wrapping up, give Raphael Barlow and a flurry of guests a listen as they prepare for the NBA draft. Hear thoughts on Chet Holmgren, Paolo Bancaro, and the rest of the NBA's future stars on Locked On NBA Draft, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags!